0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings to this episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. We have two guests today and they both... both work in the same charity. It's called Food for Families. And I was down there yesterday hearing some stories. It was a, a lunch gathering for a bunch of charities that, are, that work out of the same building. And um, I've been um, talking to these guys for a while and said, we need to tell your story because a lot of people have ideas and putting some traction to ideas is, is pretty important. And I know I I learn from people who have lessons to teach, but I also learn from people who have life lessons to teach through stories. So I'm going to ask these two gentlemen to introduce themselves, a little bit about their background, and then we'll circle around and talk about food for families. Ray Booth, who are you?
1: Okay, I'm one of the... The rare breeds i'm born here and i'll die here and uh don't have any desire to go anywhere else
0: we're in lynchburg virginia by the yeah, way that's
1: right it's a great place come join us and uh yeah <clears throat> I, I felt called and early in my life to to uh, be an engineer and i was a civil engineer graduate and after i got her to college i felt called to the ministry and and considered that quite a bit. And Lloyd uh, Spoke, I, that's, I think you'd be better served in public service. So I spent my whole uh, working life in public service. First with the city, I mean, with the state government and then 25 years with the city as director of public works. So I've impacted this community. I, everywhere I drive, I see my impacts. and construction all the time so after I retired then I went to work with a construction company and I did more public-private partnerships here in Virginia than anywhere else through every through many of the cities throughout and counties throughout Virginia. I retired from that and now I'm a consultant and real estate broker and still trying to impact the community for the better.
0: And um... Gordy Harper. Harper. (laughs) Tell us who you
2: are. Well, I'm the director. And we got the mic a little bit further away from you, so speak like it's far away. All right. I'm the director of the Food for Families at Parkview Community Mission. Uh, Previously a real estate broker, before that, a Harley Davidson dealer in Virginia Beach, Virginia.
0: So. We're, we're across the state from uh, the Commonwealth. We're across, we're across from uh, It's that's four or five hours the other way. Virginia. It? Yeah. It's Four hours, four Two hours. Days. It's real flat over there. Yes, it is. Yeah. I ran a half, <laughs> I ran a half marathon. Part of the reason I chose it was that it was flat. The other reason is it was yingling. They serve beer at the, at the, at the stops, the water stops. <laughs> so <clears throat> this food that, for families, this is a nonprofit here. And, um, let me set the context. We live in Lynchburg, Virginia. Lynchburg has one of the largest populations of those that live below the poverty line. I think 20% of the population 24%. here. 24% of population. And Food for Families is, is sort of geographically located where a lot of that population is. So when was Food for Families started and why was it started? I guess many years
1: ago, Food for Families is located in a church uh, that uh, currently is in, a very, in the poorest area of the city. But back uh, in the uh, 60s and 70s, it was the heartbeat of the city. The first shopping center was there, and this was the in place to be. And the church grew exponentially and uh, was one of the wealthier cities, churches in the city. Uh, as time moved on and the new shopping mall was built for, uh, in the suburbs and all the retail people in that part of the city left and went to the new mall and all the development moved there. This area then became a more of a transient location and over time, uh, the poorest people in the city, uh, moved in this area. Lynchburg at the turn of the, in the early 1900s, was one of the sixth wealthiest city in the nation. And uh, a lot of wealth here and built huge homes. And we have uh, a lot of beautiful inner city homes. And they were turned into apartments in the 50s and 60s. And then once the people uh, up north, started to come and appreciate the architecture, they bought all those homes and moved the poor people out. And the poor people all gathered around the Parkview Community Church. And that is now the poorest area uh, west of Richmond in the whole state of Virginia. And uh, so the church uh, was flourishing and uh, as retail moved out, it started going downhill. And uh, they started having a Wednesday night meal every Wednesday night. And then back in 1996, a street person came in, they fed him, and the next week he brought two of his friends. And over time, more and more of the street people came and and more of the congregation left. And uh, they uh, continued to feed the poor. And that number grew and grew, and it's still, to this day, 21 years later, there's still a Wednesday night meal. And we today feeding 125 to 150 people on Wednesday night. But uh, the church actually, <clears throat> uh, they started food boxes, giving our food boxes in 2007, because they saw all these poor people on Wednesday night needing food. And then in uh, 2008, the church was closed. And uh, the food pantry survived another year or two until it got in such poor shape and the guy that ran it died that it was closed for three or four months. And then through a grant, we reopened the food pantry in 2011 as a client choice facility, first one west of Richmond and one of the only few. Tell out. us
0: what client choice means.
1: <laughs> client choice means the neighbors come in and get a – grocery cart and actually go uh, back through the pantry and pick up the items that their family will eat and uh, pick up produce, meat, milk, all types of bread, so forth. But they only shop, they actually shop like you would shop in Kroger or anywhere else and pick up the items that their family will eat. And that um, was very successful and still is to this day. And then uh, there's been a number of changes over the years, but in in 2012, a gentleman that uh, was never been married, very poor, never owned a car, died and left $225,000 for the benefit of youth in Lynchburg and to be used by the district superintendent. Through an effort there, uh, they developed a partnership with UMFS, which handles foster care and adopted services. And they agreed to put a regional office there. And they used a third of that money I did to renovate the space for them. And after they came, the district office moved there. And uh, we divided expenses three ways for the utilities. And the Lord has continued to bless over the years. and and it's really taken off. And now we have uh, 13 different, uh, nonprofits in the building. And many of those are very complimentary to food for families and the neighbors. And today we serve 25% of the poor people in Lynchburg with food. And that's over, um, 3000 fam 3000 individuals. So we, we've had as much as 80,000 pounds of food a month going through the facility.
0: 80,000 pounds. Now I've been by there on a Saturday and it's like going to Kroger. Oh yeah. We have Kroger in part of the southwest, uh, part of the United States, southeastern part of the United States. And um, it's, there's people waiting. So Gordy, now Ray, when did you join this organization? I joined it in 2010. 2010, this is 2017, we're making this recording. People may be listening to this in some other year, some other some other universe. Um, Gordy, um, when did you join this organization?
2: 2016, August yeah. of
0: 2016. 2016, so year and a half. Yeah, not okay. And Ray is the um, chairman of the board, and you are? The director. The director of the pain, food maintenance. So pain. Um, what other data would you like to share? What I'm hearing is there's, there's um, people who were doing something that was meaningful, And they stayed with it and there's people listening to this that have an idea and tried it but really haven't stayed with it long term also heard because of the value because of the people staying with it you attracted some funding you attracted some other synergies with some other organizations so what other other things do you want to share
2: about what you know from the history and what the history is from 2017 16 going forward well the only thing as I came in the what we tried to focus on was changing the culture because I would sit in meetings in the city and and hear people talking about that. They didn't feel respected when they went into those places. So I kind of captured, actually a lady said, uh, a culture of respect and that kind of locked into my brain. So I went back and we tried to change, the culture and how people see our neighbors who come to show our clients, or we call neighbors, not clients. But um, so our focus was on changing the culture, and a lot of that's in developing relationships. Because we, th- what I was hearing was people needed to to uh, help them come from where they are. And I just knew from my own life that if you wanted to help me come from where I was, you have to have a relationship with me to be able to sit with me and share with me. And me actually listen and take it to heart and, you know, it matter the things you said to me. So I we put the first year I was there trying to, like, build relationships and to kind of bring down the walls that people build up around themselves because of where they are. And um, we just tried to show the love of Christ to people. Hey, Russell,
0: they, they said a couple of magic words, relationships. <laughs> they said culture. You have some comments or some questions for these gentlemen?
3: Well, you know, culture is more than just a cereal. It's supposed to be good for <laughs> you, in my experience. <laughs> it's, it's, it's wonderful, because you, what you're talking about, and, and I've dealt with it a lot, is, is basic uh, human dignity. And sometimes it's hard for people to reach out for help uh, because they're in a circumstance through no fault of their own. Uh, and it's important to treat people with that basic dignity. So I, I think I commend you for making the effort to do that and connecting with these people that you're serving there. And uh, so I was also excited to hear that you're co-located with a number of different agencies. So uh, if you could talk about some of the things that you've been able to do uh, with some of those other folks that have partnered with you to provide uh, uh, more holistic type services to those people you're serving? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, we've got, um, one, we've got uh, a free clinic and we've, we've tried to build relationships, actually with all the different partners in the building, we've tried to build relationships, but uh, we've got welcome center. We've draw, actually taken our welcome center, which is like a resource center, and set them up a satellite in our office because what happens is we're in the lower level of the building, everything else is in the upper levels of our building, and we've tried to establish ways to actually draw them down to where the, the neighbors are, and, uh, but we've, we've set uh, a lady up in our office that can actually one-on-one with the neighbors, right, in the, because they're actually in a room with, what happens is they're in a room waiting for hours at times. Some days I'm there at 7:30, and there's a two o'clock distribution, and there's people waiting on me. So we've tried to capture those morning hours where people are waiting to be able to shop and uh, and draw uh, people in that can like you know lead them to resources and all the free clinic. We've got uh, establishing relationship with the. Uh, there's a nurse practitioner in there that's going to come down and and uh, meet with the neighbors, um, announce, you know, what services are available and kind of try to what she's actually talked about is coming to the Wednesday night community meals and you know establishing relationships by serving and sitting with the neighbors and getting to know them, letting them know what's available. We've talked about we're trying to draw in flu shots. So, I mean, there's little things we talk about um, just from what we hear with the neighbors and try to like, you know, actually see what needs they have we have uh, we have a, a relationship with a local bank and a lady that's a vice president there that's coming in and teaching uh, personal finance classes basic computing classes uh, reading uh, math skills um, different things that'll help people uh, to be able to be in a better position to get uh, employment and all so yeah We have a
1: nutritionist there that actually has been there several years that actually teaches cooking classes while the neighbors are waiting. She's actually up there showing them how to cook. Uh, We also have uh, a uh, counseling service there. This facility started um, even before everybody else moved in with a in a facility, being there and actually met there for over seven years, and as a result of that uh, synergy that came around that facility and those people being there, you'd have fifty or sixty people there every day for for at lunchtime for an NA an AA meeting, and uh, as some of those people were able to overcome their addiction, uh, one of them started a telecommunications company that's in the building that provides low cost internet and phone within a one and a half mile radius of the building. Uh, Two others actually formed a counseling service, the UP Foundation, using the peer group model that's now extremely successful. They have contracts with all the local school systems and the hospitals, so if a student gets caught with drugs or alcohol, that have been suspended, they're sent sent there. They have up to nine counselors now. And uh, they've had a lot of people's lives turned around as a result of that. The UMFS handles foster care and adoption services for the entire region. They have contracts with all the schools as well. Uh, We have three churches that meet there one on Saturday that was actually a growth area of the NA group. A lot of the people at that church service, a lot of them are, are very all across the spectrum. We have doctors, lawyers, all types of people there that, that through prescription drugs and other things, and you read about it so much today, that were, uh, were cured or, or came off the addiction that didn't feel comfortable in their own churches, in their own places. So they come there with brothers and sisters that have shared the same walk Mm. and helping each other. And after the worship service, they have a meal together. And uh, it's every Saturday uh, night. Then we have a Sunday morning church. uh, And then we have a Sunday afternoon church. And they are now getting more involved in the mission And most recently, we've had one of the larger churches actually move their uh, church office into the building because they want to be close to the neighbors and be more involved in ministering to the poor and so forth. So we have a number of um, different things there. We're continuing to try to expand more services as we get there, and it's continuing to grow.
0: Um, We... um Russellin is one of the first people into my I, center vision is the synergy of common vision. I trademark that name. And, um, we help, we help people. That, we like the word charity because nonprofit is a stupid word. Um, you got to make some profit if you're going to do any good. So we, we like the word charity a little better. It's a tax exempt social benefit organization or so, social capital. A lot of ways to describe it without using, uh, and people think of nonprofit as a, as a philosophy, not as a tax classification as well. And um, I don't hear any of that thinking um, from what I hear today. So Russell and I, we, we've re, reinvented the uh, consultant model. You know, went through from being a consultant to being an insultant to being a resultant. And now we partner with people and help them find the way. So we're wayfinders. So we created a whole different paradigm. Because you know, ninety percent of the consultants out there give the rest of us a bad name because <laughs> they give answers and maybe they work, maybe they don't. But it's the stock answer. So our 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 calling is to give people information at free or at a price they can afford, so they can improve their culture, improve their their service, and therefore improve their funding. So I want to talk about two other other pieces here. Um, we teach leaders that you don't push, you influence. So I'm hearing some of that in your dialogue. You know, you, you've been steady, you've, you've worked out these collaborations with these other organizations or some synergistic work. Um, I'm gathering you were the first one on board and the others have come on board since then. So because of the, the impact of your work, we, we wanna talk about what we do well, I want to shift to, and a lot of charities do that, but I know because I've heard your stories, there's, there's measurable, profound impact from the work that you do. And that's part of the position of influence, but your, your operational guidelines, your, your high standards of integrity, the value you give people, those are all really strong principles. And those are, those are part of who you attract, both in the, the collaborations and in the funding side. So if, if that influence piece makes some sense now you talked about, um, improving the culture, redefining the culture, I'm not sure what word you use, but it was working on the culture. And I watched you at this dinner yesterday where you had most of those organizations represented at lunch. It was just a lunch to share stories and be together. Um, you were a servant leader there. You were handing out plates, you were checking on people, you have this, you have that. So you were, uh, I don't know if you were official, but you were an official hospitality person yesterday. So they gave me some insights into your leadership, sir. So what, what was the journey? Um, culture is so important, that's part of the work we do. You know, looking at the culture as a, le- leadership as a culture, not just the person, it's the culture. So what's been your journey of helping them, I like the word transform rather than change. They've transformed their whole idea of culture. So what's that journey? Give us a little snapshot of what that journey's been like.
2: Well, it goes back probably, but I mean, for this journey, it when I was seeing it, and people don't really mean some of the things you see sometimes, you know, it's just more the nature of, you know, people as a whole, unfortunately. So it, it's just, I was watching, I would hear, certain things and watch certain responses and it just wasn't the outcomes i was hoping for because i'm i want more of a you know warm and you know comfortable but and the way i've tried to sell it to people i said that the people that we're serving don't really get experiences like if i want to take my kids to disney world or my grandchild or something we're just gonna go Mm -hmm. they don't really get to do the same things there you go. so we've tried to help people see that we want to create an experience that where you look forward to coming back and i know it's just shopping to some people but i to our neighbors when you see the fact that they'll come you know it's seven some some come at six in the morning i've had people tell me we started about eight i get there some most time around seven thirty and there can be 10, 15 people waiting, and it just makes me understand the value of it. I know it's, you know, free groceries, but they get to come once a month, and I would like over that month's gap for them to really look forward to it, so we try to take everything, implement everything we can to make it a nice experience, and I say we want to do it like the nice stores do like Walmart, you know, it's, you want it to be, it's like we need little vests to say, how can I help? You know what I mean? Now, you want it to be clean, well stocked and great customer service. And, but we had to put it in a, in a mindset that the average person could think of. I said, when you walk through the grocery stores, what do you see? You know what's happening around you. Everything's neat. Everything's in order. The only difference is all of our stuff comes right through. We bring pallets right through the front door. Hmm. Then we set them down right in the middle of our produce room and start picking through it to be ready to to distribute the food. So it's a little harder to keep it clean. We don't have people that come in the middle of the night and stock us up to be ready for opening tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So there's certain challenges we have that, that uh, Walmart, you know, has already they've mastered because of finances and and uh the help they've been able to bring in so if, it, if you think of it as creating a wonderful experience and uh you know not just you know feeding people you know
0: um, um it's 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 um i love it it's it's sort of the, the visual of people waiting in line for the new iphone yeah, they're, that's the, they're, they're excited.
2: They look forward to it. Yeah. And it's hard because, like I say, it's like <laughs> my family does about whatever everybody wants to do when they want to do it. Yeah. We've been very blessed. Yeah. and But I realize these folks don't. Wow. So.
0: It's hard to realize that. Yeah. Um, we were, um, uh, Russell, we were born into white privilege. But, you know, it's not a disease. <laughs> it's not a disease, but there is a cure for it. And um, I was in a room yesterday, and, and I said to to Leanne, "It's nice to be in a room where everybody doesn't look like me, because everybody looked like me. That'd be real scary, wouldn't it?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we had cross section of of Lynchburg in that room. We did, we did. age, age, demographic, mm-hmm. uh, educational background, race. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of us better looking than others, <laughs> but not me. <laughs> um, so um, the culture thing is something that um, we work with charities on and churches because we've, we've inherited a culture and we don't realize why people aren't responding to us because we're doing things the same, the same way. I, um, I started a workshop Saturday with a church, church leaders and I, I said, who knows the seven last words of the church? And nobody knew. I said, we've never done it that way before. I said, a lot of us come into meetings with that written on our forehead. How about just ripping up there and taking it off? Let's strip it off. Boom. Let's just start with an open brain. Um, You came in 18 months ago. So Ray, what sort of transformation has happened during his tenure so far? Obviously his, his approach is,
1: is very positive and very much what we are all looking for our previous Uh, people took it more. In fact, he was a retired military person. It was more from giving orders and this is the way we do it type of approach. Ah. And obviously that doesn't create the same level of respect. You've got to have a heart uh, that you want to share and you relate to these people rather than treat them as just something to go through the door. And Gordy has brought the heart into it. And as a result of his faith, uh, he's been able to uh, share the heart and the love with the people. And uh, that's something, obviously, I strongly believe in and something I've tried to do. I grew up very poor, uh, not quite privileged. And uh, so I I, I relate to these people really well. (laughs) Do you? So uh, it's... uh, Uh, All by the grace of God, it could be any of us. So it's been been wonderful to see Gordy uh, there and the way he's transformed the people there. And the other thing that's been such a huge benefit is the tremendous amount of volunteers we have. We only have a couple of part-time people. Gordy is part-time and another part-time we have it takes 30 at least 30 volunteers to run a distribution day and so we've literally brought hundreds of volunteers in and hundreds of volunteer hours and if it wasn't for the volunteers we couldn't survive so it's just as important for the volunteers to have a good experience and feel the right attitude as it is for the neighbors because if they don't appreciate and we don't appreciate them and what they do they wouldn't be coming back and we have tremendous amount of volunteers repeats on continuous basis also wednesday nights we have just numerous groups that bring the food cook the food serve the food provide music devotions and relate to the people so that's probably 30 different groups over the year so we have, that creates an experience, a love, and a relationship that carries forward into the volunteers on Thursday and Saturday
0: and Wednesday when we stop. So a lot of that transformation is what Cordy's brought to the table. Yeah. Um, We like to teach that the culture is a reflection of the leader, and so we we want to criticize other people, and we haven't looked in the mirror Mm -hmm. ourselves. I want to ask for some stories. Uh, Russell, what are you hearing, and you have some other question you want to throw on the table?
3: <clears throat> well, you know, what we're talking about is critically important, and there's reasons why people support you. So a nonprofit perspective has creates win-win-win scenarios. Wins for the people working within them, wins for the people they serve, and wins for their supporters, whether they're given time, talent, or treasure. So that's important and having the connection with people. Uh, When you go into a community, particularly if you look different, there's a little bit of a level of suspicion there that you have to overcome, Uh, and that's been my experience. But when people get to know you and and see you as genuine, you go in, you ask a lot of questions. You don't walk in with a lot of answers. You go in with a lot of questions, and uh, people respond to that, and it's a constant dialogue how can we make this better? Uh, how, do we, how, how can we serve you uh, best? Uh, what are we doing? Now? What is something that we can do that we're not doing? Uh, so these are all things that are critical It's having these conversations. So, you know, you've got hundreds of volunteers and I've seen uh, people like Travis Smith, who's spread impact locally to 11 cities now. He's been successful at leveraging large numbers of volunteers. So, yeah, the question that I have is is um, is what what are you learning as you ask the people who volunteer for you? Um, why do they keep coming back? Why do they enjoy serving? What makes them want to work with you? Well.
2: That's a tough one to figure out <laughs> because uh, we, we do get uh, responses and things from people, but it's, it's, I really haven't done a lot of research on it as much. It's just, it seems almost uh, a standard amongst, especially the students, because I see the students come in and they kind of like start, they don't know where to plug in. And some of them have certain, you know, they're little. the schools require hours and things like, you know, community service, Christian service hours, things like that. And you can start to see them, it kind of develops within them a heart for service. And I think, I think most of the young people nowadays really want to do something. They have something inside them stirring to give back. And, um, but it's interesting because I know one of the local colleges, they get 20 hours they required uh, to, to serve in their community. And over and over, I get comments of like, I had to do it up till then. I want to do it now. And uh, so, you know, it's just, it's just something stirs within them to make them come back and, and want to do it. But I think I think any of us that will actually step outside our comfort zone and actually go into these places and start to invest your time and energy Um, it's in us.
1: You know, all of us want to do things and please people. And when we serve people, these people appreciate it and show their appreciation and, uh, verbally, non-verbally and so forth. So it's you, everything you do, uh, is appreciated and, uh, that warms people's hearts and they want to continue Right. to uh, To be able to help these help the people, so it's all about being able to help and see that immediate impact and the smile on the face, and that's what brings them back. And that's why if they get past that first hurdle mm-hmm. and get comfortable, at least to at least talk to people, then it, it they can develop a dialogue. And particularly as the young people, they don't have the biases that the older people do did as relates mm-hmm. to race, culture, and the other things. And uh, they really more quickly uh, join uh, join in, if you will, than the older people. They have a little harder struggle sometimes uh, uh, getting past that barrier. One of the big things that's been in Lynchburg for the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years is bridges are of poverty. Mm-hmm. And we've gone through lots of the training on that and, uh, and just a local pastor recently shared with me that uh, he was had the white privilege, if you will, and served in larger churches, and he really didn't know how to talk to the poor. And he went into uh, one of these bridges programs and came back and tried some different things, and all of a sudden they responded, and all of a sudden now he comes back or every week, because he's, uh-huh. reti- he's retired, and he sees how he can bring a smile on these people's mm-hmm. face, and how they can, how they can uh, all of a sudden smile rather than sitting down
0: frowning. You know, I we bought this house recently, and um, I said to the realtor and the mover, "You do this all the time," but we felt like we were your only client because we move once in a long time, once in a great while. You move somebody every day. You sell a house every day. So these people, it's a unique experience for them. You're doing it all the time. So what I'm hearing about the culture is it, it's really a profound experience for everybody. You've created a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I think parts of white privilege don't have to do with money. That's right. Yeah, I mean, just because we're guys and we're white and we're old. <laughs> That's right. You know, there's a lot of dimensions of that. But what I've, I'm hearing is that you've evened the playing field. And that, that people are people. Um, I'd like to hear a couple of stories that you can share. Um, we we got some time here. So, is there a story that of impact? Either one of you can start. Is there a story you'd like to share about yeah, something that, that <laughs> warmed your heart
1: and really made I a difference in somebody's life? Share.
2: Yeah, you go first. Yeah, we've had. I tell you, one that I love was recently. We had two ladies come in, and uh, it was kind of a little bit off time and off off scheduling and and, uh, they were they were homeless and Mm -hmm. um, we just happened the way it hit it was impactful for me because of the pieces that came together but we're sitting in the office staying up in the office we were able to draw the lady from the resource the welcome center she's Mm -hmm. she was in there and we were able to see them get their housing that evening by establishing the housing, we were able to establish their food um, she was able to get them bus passes and just kind of all the pieces we just stood in the office and it kind of we talked it all through all the pieces in you know a matter of fifteen minutes came together and uh, it probably was two we we actually is we stood there we all held hands together, prayed together at the end of it. And we we said, wouldn't it be something if six months from now we talk about this and go, you remember when we all gathered mm-hmm. and we tried to we figured out mm-hmm. all the pieces on? It wasn't two weeks they come back in and they both had jobs.
1: Oh my and
2: it was a powerful to, for them to come in and share and then us just to remember of how all the different resources just kind of aligned at that moment. And it's a powerful image of of us remembering to draw all the resources. And you got to keep a pool of everybody together, and he wanted me to more understand all of our resources there, and make sure we're tapping in and getting everybody everything they need, uh, and and to understand that the other partners in our in our mission are in as well, and we've come to find out they're in as well, and they were actually doing some things that like I hadn't even realized. Invest like we had the the counseling. Like I said, I sat with one of them from the Up Foundation. I said, I really want to figure out what we can do together and all. And they're like, did you not realize Steve's been sending people up for a long time? And I'm like, I did not realize. I was going to try. So it's kind of, and Steve's the face you see first when you come in the office. And Steve's been like, you know, kind of directing people to the resources they needed. So you you go ahead. Yeah,
1: that's there's so many stories that happen over over. all the time it's, we had had a guy that came in the office and and we'd been getting money from somebody that gave us a hundred dollars a month and been doing it for a long time and we didn't know who who it really was hmm. and uh one day this guy comes through the door there and says um he didn't have a car or anything, rode the bus. And he said, one month I didn't really have the money to give you, but I got on the bus, and one of these people got on there with a bag of groceries, and I said, they needed more than me. And he came back and gave us that $100. And that guy has since come back numerous times, and he had Gordy to go with him to the bank. And so the bank is sending us a check, $100 every month, and it comes right over his His accountant, but uh, he had money when he first came to Lynchburg and he's donated most of it, so he's got enough just to live. But he's really got the heart for helping people. But you look at him, he's long beard, spring hair. He looks like he might be homeless, but he's got a heart. And so you never underestimate people. A book's not by its cover, you know.
0: That's a remarkable story. What do you think, Russ?
3: I think that's, that's great. And that's probably typical of the work that you do in there. And it's really, it's all about people. And uh, as you bring people in, they come through the front door. It's almost like having them slide into your funnel, as it were. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and when I worked for the Aristide Band of Micmacs, people would walk through the door. Uh, my programs were around jobs and business, but I was familiar with all of the other programs around me uh within the tribe so when somebody walked into my office they could start they could start anywhere in that office and they would be walked around from one end to the other across the street to the health clinic but when they walked in they left with what they needed and nobody took time to say well you know this is not quite my job yeah. Uh, they would take time, your program directors, as a program director, we take time to walk people from one office to the other yeah. and make sure they're they're getting what they need before we hand them off. Yeah. And it's a team effort. And uh, I looked at it as I work for the community. I have a boss, I have the, the tribal chief and the tribal council, mm-hmm. but I work for the community and I'm on display. With everybody I serve and it's important for them to have satisfaction. It's important for people that are writing the checks to be satisfied. It's important to have good relations with the community. All of that's important. Everybody has to feel like they're they're winning here. And I commend you for setting up that type of environment. Yeah. But you're yeah, asking people what they like and why they serve is pretty critical because once you find out what it is they like, you can do more of it. Mm-hmm. Because even if they have to, to, to do a certain number of hours, they can do those hours with any mm-hmm. uh, nonprofit in Lynchburg, but they choose you. And that's because of what you've been doing. That's your you work on the culture. But, uh, you know, Find out a little bit more. I'm, I'm in the frame of mind. You can never ask too many questions to find out what uh, what makes people tick, and and to be there and be that solution and have that heart of service that that people need. And so, a- as we're coming up on this holiday, this is a great time to remember a lot of these things that we're grateful for. And um, are are you going to see a, uh, some people over the next few days? I know the holidays coming. There's a lot of meals to be served. Uh, what's on the agenda for for the rest of this week? And given Tuesday is coming up, so uh, what's on the agenda and what do folks need to know so that they can help uh, uh, support the work you're doing? Because you're oh of people in
0: need I thank you for that. uh, We're recording this just prior to Thanksgiving in 2017. People might be listening to it another time, but to put in context for people listening to the podcast, um, we're approaching a holiday for a lot of us that eat a lot of food and celebrate with family that other people don't have that option. And what I've learned is when you're down and out, the society doesn't help you most of the time. You guys are given a hand up. This is so encouraging. So to... Relay Russ's question: um, What particular reflection for this this season of the year? How do you how do you interact with people? It's different, or is it different?
2: I don't see it. it's different. Lots for of me. say see, a lot of places shut down. It's a trick question. Is that, yeah, I was gonna say I didn't understand the question. <laughs> no,
0: it's it, you know a lot of places shut down. Russell, oh, it's a holiday. We're gonna take time off. You know.
2: let them close today and yeah. they'll come back on Monday. So we'll do a Wednesday night uh, Thanksgiving dinner. That's going to be a sit-down, serve you at the table. Will really? it? Mm-hmm. Oh, who comes to that? Everybody in the community is, is allowed to come. It's open. Is it door policy and you know? all. So uh, we don't even know who will be there yet. But the expectation, I reached out today to reach more tables and chairs because and, we're expecting a, a huge crowd.
0: I guess Wednesday, night. At, Wednesday at, night. This, this, um, just to go back to the the lineage of this and the history that we heard. This was a very active, large Methodist church, and it and it uh, dwindled down in membership, and it was no longer viable for them to stay there and support this building. And so, the the building's owned by the the Methodist church, and so it reverted back to the district office, who had to maintain it. And through the wisdom of the district superintendent they started using it. It sort of had a rebirth. You know, so it's ministry in another form. So not just one church uh, worships there. There's three at least. Mm-hmm. Plus you got 13 different different uh, organizations. Yeah. They're ministries of sort, although they're not under the umbrella of the church. They're still ministries, I think. Right. It's uh, So go ahead.
1: I guess it's a building that originally started in 1857 <laughs> on that site. And... Uh, and grown and grown and grown till now it's twenty six thousand square feet, and then it died, and it's now being reborn uh-huh. and uh, rebirthed, and even a greater ascent. So it's it's how the people use the facilities, and what makes this site so unique is that it's in the very heart of the very poorest area, and right down the. Two blocks away is the Salvation Army and the Center of Hope. Across the street is the Public Health Department. Now Another block away is a Recreation, and they do a lot of things. So right there within, and there's 10 Methodist churches within a two-mile radius of this. So there, and there's probably a, uh, another 30 or 40 storefront churches and others around this. Oh, yeah. And uh, we've now partnered with another church, and he's running his bus and picking up people in the neighborhood. Uh, We give her so much food, we average 30 pounds of food per individual in the family. So, a family of four will go out of there with over 100 pounds of food. And the biggest problem they have is getting it home. So, they can't get on the bus with that much. So, they all have to get rides and get taxis and share. So it is a it is a tremendous uh, undertaking to take eighty thousand pounds and distribute it in over two days. To this past week, leading up to Thanksgiving, we had a we had uh, over three hundred families, three hundred twenty some families that went through there. So say those
0: numbers again. Those you just slid slid those in here. Eighty. How many pounds of food?
1: Eighty thousand pounds a month.
0: Eighty thousand pounds of food per month, and then that other figure for
1: three. This past week, we had the most we've ever had of three hundred and twenty-some families on Thursday and Saturday, just those two days.
0: Over three hundred families. So that's a lot of people. Over two thousand individuals. Wow. That's on Saturday. On Thursday and Saturday. Thursday and Saturday. That's just one of the weeks in this month. Yeah. So the impact of your work is pretty huge. Um, We find that um, helping charities define their impact in quantifiable terms helps them attract regular recurring funding. So talk a bit about how do you sustain this? How do you continue to make sure that there's operational money, that there's food in place, that you pay the light bill and that kind of stuff? So how do you attract the funding and how many sources does it come from? I'm sure there's some in kind. There's some in kind, but there's some cash in there too, isn't
1: there? Yeah, the only thing we've been tracking is just the cash, and it comes right now from all types of uh, different areas. We get from churches, we get from organizations, we get a lot from grants, uh, and and, uh, basically a lot of individual donations. We have, um, we've got. $10, if you donate $10, it will feed a family of four for one month. And that's based with supply of 100 pounds of food. So we're able to present it that way. A lot of people respond to that because they want to help. It's individuals, churches, organization, grants. Our biggest supporter by far is Walmart. Walmart over that 80,000 pounds a third of that comes from Walmart. We pick up from three Walmarts a little Caesars, Panera bread, every week and Walmart supplies a tremendous you know 30 or 40,000 pounds a year um, a month rather comes from um, Walmart and uh, so that uh, they've given us grants. We got a $55,000 grant to widen the entrance so we get food in easier. We just last week got another $55,000 grant from Walmart to buy a refrigerated truck so that we can keep the produce fresh longer and pick it up and keep it fresh. And they give community service grants as well. And the people here are just just so supportive of what we do. And uh, this community is very supportive.
0: So we qualify for that by showing the impact of your work. And um, I want to point out to any business people listening to this, you heard three brands mentioned there, Walmart, Panera, and uh, Little Caesars. Little Caesars. Almost made a mistake there. Little Caesars. And so those companies um, support you. And you don't have to toot their horn about their brand, but it's really good for business to do this. And this is the Walmart Foundation. It's, it's philanthropic giving, but you've also had some support from the local stores, that's which right. is another another source of funding. And so what I heard you say, there were um, donations. So you have individual and, and company donations. Um, you have in-kind donations, which is the food. Um, you do get grants. So that's three. We teach charities. There's eight streams of revenue. Um, you have money, which we call partner money like comes from a Rotary Foundation or a church, they have designated funds for a particular project. They don't do that, but they give money to a project like yours. So I call it, it's not really a grant, it's not really a donation, so it's partnering. They have the funds, and in the aggregate, you take a bunch of churches, a bunch of groups like a Rotary Foundation. Each Rotary has their own foundation, and they can purpose special gifts. So for, for charities to think about, partnering with churches synagogues other community organizations that want to give you a little bit of money and you multiply it by 10 or 20 or or more organizations then you've got some sustainable um, revenue to help you sustain your work so um are there other sources of revenue are those pretty did i hear i heard those yeah i think i think you
1: kind of hit most of them there but you just never know when, when the lord's gonna bring something out of the blue we just had a and recently, last year, we got a big donation from a individual we'd never heard of before, from another city, and they just happened to have a neighbor, a family member that heard about it, and that foundation just wrote us a check, and we had to do a lot of finding out where it come from and who it came from. So uh, it uh, you just never know how the Lord's going to provide and how the money is going to come, and uh, so it's. Uh, it's, it's it's a
0: uh, never you were to t- on your phone, it was going to ring. I hope you didn't. Wasn't that you won the lottery? But you have to buy a ticket before you can win. <laughs> no, no, so so Russell, um, you want We're going We're on the final wrap here, so we're going to run over time. So any, any uh, closing comments from you or parting questions
3: well, I, again, I'd like to to thank you for the fine work that you're doing down there and you've got some marvelous opportunities to leverage uh, all of the work you're doing. Uh, I would say the same thing about the businesses. is find out what it is that they like uh, that makes them support you so you can just keep doing more of that and, and bringing more people through the door and just keep talking to people and those relationships are important. Uh, and keep working on culture because that's where it starts and this is what draws all of these gifts when you got the right culture you've created the right type of energy field and 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 the synergy to to bring all of this stuff about so keep up what you're doing uh blessings to you enjoy the holiday and uh um uh, I don't know if you planned anything special for Giving Tuesday, but that's an opportunity to reach out and talk to people and uh, maybe go on your Facebook feed and, and talk a little bit about the work you're doing and remind people that uh, Giving Tuesday is an opportunity to support you.
0: Good Thank Why don't you, you think about a parting comment? There's people out there that are struggling and they haven't been able to get traction, so what word of encouragement would you give them if they're thinking about starting it or they've tried to start it and have not quite got traction, but I want to do, we have a sponsor for for this series of podcasts. We have several. Our sponsor for this podcast is the United United Methodist uh, General Board of uh, Higher Education and Ministry, and specifically the UMCCyberCampus.com. This is a Christian learning portal. that has amazing programs. And if if you're a Methodist pastor, you can get continuing education credit by taking the Center Vision Leadership Program on UMCyberCampus.com. If you're not, you want to grow your skill. If you want to grow your organization, it's critical that you grow your skill. So um, UMC Cyber Campus is a place to check it out. And they've partnered with us because of the work we're doing, enhances the work that they're doing. So putting our worlds together helps everybody. So we thank you, uh, United Methodist uh, Board of Higher Education and Ministry, for seeing that connection. So as we're, we're signing off here, which one of you wants to give a challenge, give a tip, give a thought for somebody that's wanting to up their game?
1: Never give up, just keep trying.
0: And
2: love the people that you're doing it for.
0: Love the people you're doing it for, and I heard with. You do all of that. I watched oh, you in action. You can't hide. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing. Russell, we're we're, th- we're three guys having coffee in, in, in my kitchen. So this has been kind of a kickback inform when you're having
3: coffee there. So I'm you're- having coffee with you. I'm having coffee with you guys, and, and uh, it's great to have a – of course, I noticed that I'm drinking probably a little bit more coffee than you guys are we're,
0: drinking. We're, we're uh, you know, we don't subscribe to whether it's half full or half empty because we think it's all refillable.
3: There it is.
0: All right, <laughs> blessings, everyone. Thank you for great, great stories on this podcast.